0: Welcome to Tattooed Freaks and Business Suits, recorded live in the kitchen of the Personal Touch Career Services in Denver, Colorado. I am your host, Donna Shannon. As a professional career coach, I help people navigate the hiring maze to get to the jobs they really love. In addition to working with job seekers one-on-one, I do have a book available. You can find How to Get a Job Without Going Crazy on Amazon. My guest today is Jared Ransom, the Nonprofit Nerd. And uh, I'll get back to you in just one second. Uh, So our show's purpose is to explore and redefine the world of work, especially as Gen X millennials and those to come after seek positions of leadership that still allow them to be themselves. So every show, we explore a topic related to business or job searching. And of course, we're going to talk about tattoos. Our sponsor is the Personal Touch Career Services, Denver's top rated career coaches, we focus on all the practical tools for your job search including resumes, LinkedIn profiles, job search coaching and ongoing classes. So check out our ridiculously long website personaltouchcareerservices.com. Once again, that's personaltouchcareerservices.com or you know, you can just google it. So hi Jarrett, hi Donna. Thank you very much for joining me today. And let's just kick off right into it. Okay, what does it mean to be a nonprofit nerd? So tell us a little bit more about yourself. So I love, thank you for having me
1: on your podcast. I love the topic, it resonated wholeheartedly with me. Um, because when I started as, let's just say, a nonprofit professional, I was not a nerd. I was not a nonprofit nerd. 2009, I lost my chief development officer position. That's a big, hoity-toity title for like fundraising director. And uh, then I started my consulting practice. So the nonprofit nerd for me really embodies just living, breathing, eating, sleeping, all that good stuff that we tend to do, or I hope we do, um, in the nonprofit sector. We also call it the social profit sector and uh, just being of service. So I literally, Donna, can nerd out on nonprofit topics. I always say until you become blue in the face, face because I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I just love it. I just continue to nerd out.
0: Excellent. And so that really dies into with the business that you've developed too. Raven, I'm going to, of course, I got the Raven part right. And then I'm going to screw up the rest of it. Of yeah, course. the
1: Raven group.
0: Yeah. So um, what does it mean really to be a nonprofit consultant?
1: So again, back in 2009, when I started my practice, uh, I did it because I was a reduction in force. So it wasn't intentional that I started to become a business owner, but I grew up in the South, born and raised um, like Southeast of uh, the States, of the United States. And I had this notion of what it meant to be a consultant. And that to me, that notion, right? Growing up in the South was, a pearl necklace, really nice lipstick, pantyhose, closed-toed shoes. And you just had to like dress the part of being prim and proper. Um, I bucked the system from the start, right? And I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't like these pantyhose. Um, So for me, being a consultant was really about finding my zone of genius. Where do I feel that I thrive and can best help my community as well as the clients that I serve. So that's what it is for me. Well, that's an interesting phrase. Zone of genius. What does that mean? Yeah. Um, so for me, it's really about finding those natural, uh, maybe elements, natural responsibilities, natu- natural things that we gravitate towards um, that don't seem like work right? Uh, So I started my business, truth be told, as a grant writer, 2009 economic crisis and grants were still needed in the nonprofit sector. It drained me. It totally Mm. drained me. It was like an energy vampire. But I did that and I built my business doing grants up until I started working with a business coach that Mm. helped me identify what do I love to do? Where do I truly thrive? And what comes natural to me, Donna, in a way that doesn't feel like work, and even better if it fills me up, and I leave doing whatever it is I'm doing on a much like greater vibration, right? So like feeling more full, feeling more alive than I did
0: when I started it. Did you follow uh Jeb Blount's book, uh, The Big Leap? I didn't. Oh no, I followed
1: my yeah. own like beat of the drum. <laughs> Interesting. is in I'm not a big reader. Like I've I've gotten into Audible. I've gotten into um, a couple of books that do capture
0: you know my interest as well as podcasts like this one. Um, but I'm sure that was a great book. Yeah, he talks about the zone of genius too. So that was my first exposure with the term. So it's interesting. So what really drove you to work with nonprofits in the first place?
1: So I mentioned I, I grew up in the South, um, born in Georgia, raised in South Carolina. Um, I grew up in a really small town. Like there was 115 people in my graduating class. That was a long time ago. And that's not quite the same as what my school looks like now. Um, but I really appreciated people knowing who I was, right? Like knowing in me and my core, what makes me tick? What am I passionate about? What really, you know, I don't know, sets me on fire. <laughs> and I found that typically um, most nonprofits, do have what I have found to be true in my reality is it's much more of an open culture of individuality and more of like a family atmosphere. So in the nonprofit world as an employee, because again, now I'm a consultant, but as an employee, Donna, I really felt like the organizations knew me. They knew who Jarrett was. They knew what made me tick. They knew what lit me up and uh, they were like genuinely concerned and
0: and eager to support me. For somebody who's wanting to get into the nonprofit sector, what do you feel is the first step in kind of analyzing their own vision and values? And does that even really matter when going after a nonprofit job?
1: I love that this question is coming up. Thank you for asking it um, because the nonprofit sector is a large sector in our economic like powerhouse, right? Like it is a big industry. There are 1.8 million nonprofits across the U.S. Now that's as we're recording today, but I'm sure that they're continuing to like come and go ebb and flow, right? But let's just say standard across the U.S., 1.8 million registered nonprofits. So we have options. We have Mm -hmm. options as to like where we serve and where we work. So for instance, if you love animals, you might wanna consider working in an animal rescue organization. If you really want to help in the human services, which might mean things like basic needs, you know, food, clothing, shelter, um, maybe you want to help to alleviate hunger. That's another, um, you know, key topic or key issue in your community that you might want to consider, but there's everything, right? There's arts. So there's cultural organizations and institutions. There's membership organizations, which are nonprofits like, um, Chamber of Commerce, that's pretty familiar. Mm -hmm. So I always say, really find that thing that you're passionate about. So not necessarily your zone of genius, because that's how you want to show up and be of service, but find the, let's call it connection. Let's find that connection that really drives you at your core, maybe in your heart center that pulls you to wanting to do more good. That doesn't sound grammatically correct, but you're wanting to do more good for your community.
0: Right. I actually used to work at a nonprofit. Oh, so, cool. Uh, I was with the PBS station here in Denver. That's right.
1: You yep. mentioned that. And another great example, right? And so for me, I will say, Don, I've typically uh, done a lot of my 20 plus years of service in uh, what I would consider human services. Now I've also done youth leadership. I've done education. I've done a little bit of healthcare. care. Um, but when I look at my entire client list from 2009, it's typically human services. But PBS, you said radio, public broadcast service, that's another great organization and nonprofit.
0: Yeah, we did the TV stations. So TV. Right.
1: <laughs> I remember, um, was it Big Bird that was always on PBS? Uh,
0: yeah, he's uh, on Sesame Street too. Yeah, well, of course he's on Sesame Street with his friend Snuffleupagus. <laughs> I have not not seen Snuffleupagus in years. I think he had already been like grandfathered out by the time I was working with him. that's where the Elmo's World was the big part. So yes. um, subsection within there. Great, like, great PBS reference. Yeah, I love it. So here's a question. Uh, how would you say the difference really between like an organization's vision and values mm-hmm. versus company culture? Do they coincide or is there a big difference between them?
1: Great question. Um, so I'm going to define vision as the purpose, right? Vision is the purpose of the organization, or I also use agency interchangeably when it comes to a, a nonprofit. Values help to guide decision-making. So I think that, you know, vision is the purpose and values really help to guide the decision-making, but values, this is where it comes interchangeably, is also the core of the culture. Now, is that confusing or what? (laughs) So really the culture to me is a collection of practices right? So how do we practice who we are, what we do, the inclusion factor, diversity cl- uh, factor, everything that goes into our organization, these collection of practices make up the culture.
0: I think it's really great to kind of explore the, these two things a little bit deeper, mm-hmm. because uh, having worked with job seekers who are vision-driven themselves, wanted to work with nonprofits or with you know organizations that are giving back to their community, mm-hmm. sometimes they kind of fooled themselves about the company culture, walked into negative company culture because they so desperately wanted to work with the vision as they saw it that the firm had.
1: I agree. I agree, it happens, right? And the nonprofit sector, social profit sector, uh, just because we are here to do good in the community doesn't mean that we're always doing good by our people or to our people. Um, that's kind of a disruption statement. So apologize in advance or actually a little little post. Um, but I do think it's really important, right? For us to know the culture of the organization. Um, and I think there's there's great ways to do that. You know, um, For one, I look at social media what is being publicly shared, mm-hmm. um, how timely, because I'm going to go back to, you know, Black Lives Matters, And I hate to say go back to, because it's still a thing. I hope it always stays a thing, right? Like, I don't want it to go away. But if you recall, Donna, and now I cannot think of like, when exactly the black squares came up on social media, in particular, like Instagram, right. it was almost, if an organization or a person or a leader, or you name it, did not post a black square. It was almost like, well, why not? Why aren't you making the statement? Right. Um, so that to me, I think, you know, we can look at the public. Um, post, we can look at the public statements, but it's really got to go beyond that. And and I think to do that is the conversation, um, maybe with the team and just really digging into the culture. Because remember, we should be interviewing the organization just as much as they're
0: interviewing us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I like to say, keep your mind open, but not so open that your brains fall on the floor.
1: Oh, (laughs) that's good. And that's a really like gruesome visual, but
0: I like, it. <laughs> I, mean, I, I told you I'm into horror. So there you go.
1: Well, in Don't Arizona, which is where I live, Donna, if our brains fall on the floor, they would be fried, right? Like literally, you remember those old commercials? This is your brain on drugs. And they like fry the eggs in the pan. Yeah. I'm, maybe I'm dating myself with my age, but, <laughs> <laughs> I, but I remember that, you know, the, these are your brains. These are your brains on drugs. And it's like, that's exactly if our brains were to fall out in Arizona on the asphalt or the streets or you name it, fried eggs.
0: Yep. Yep. Well, sometimes TA and get fried egg syndrome in an organization as well. Yeah. Because it can be you know what? We've got a lot of things coming on. We're trying to really implement. We're trying to make the most out of every dollar that we get because maybe donations were down due to COVID or whatever That the grant didn't come through. Mm-hmm. And that's where I, I've done both broadcasting and entertainment and I've done nonprofit and PBS was kind of the juxtaposition of both. And sometimes both entertainment and nonprofits can be like, You're getting to work in your vision and passion, so we're going to pay you less than what a you know full full on normal job would do. Do you ever see that too? Well, one, I love that you said full on normal job because that's referencing that a nonprofit (laughs) is not a full on
1: normal job. Um, Oh, you know what I mean? Totally. No, I. I totally. And in fact, there's a great TED talk by Dan Pilata. And Dan also did um, a book, cannot think of the name right now, but Dan Pilata, look him up. Um, and so I am a huge proponent for us not only recruiting rock star talent, but retaining rock star talent. And we have to do that by showing up and being competitive in how we pay um our staff, our leaders, our talent, right? And I, I'm gonna say, um, pretty boldly, although I think in Denver actually, or sorry, Colorado, it is a law that you have to state your salary requirements or your salary range when you post a job. That's not in Arizona. Mm -hmm. So I actually do not share any job openings or postings for anyone unless it does state what is the hiring salary range because I do think we need to talk about our uh, salary communication. We need to communicate it. We need to, at some level, have it open. And we really need to advocate for not paying less to the nonprofit leaders. What was that term you said? For like a less than normal job would pay.
0: (laughs) But yeah, because you're given the you've given the luxury of working something that's your passion radio for profit radio. Uh, they kind of, the qualification there is we're going to pay you less because we're going to give you concert tickets and baseball tickets and hockey tickets <laughs> and t-shirts. Right. Yeah.
1: What's How it? did that go over during the last year? Right. I mean, I would... don't know.
0: I, I was 20 years ago when I,
1: yeah. Had <laughs> yeah, but that was a perk that they couldn't promise on or couldn't. Deliver. Yeah.
0: Exactly. But you could work from home. So there you go. Yeah. All right. We need to do better.
1: As a society, we need to do better.
0: mm -hmm. Yeah, I do agree. And sometimes we see, especially here in the Denver area where the cost of living is increased so dramatically because of housing Mm -hmm. and salary evaluations tends to lag behind that. So we've got a fight right now. Salaries still being depressed, but, it's starting to turn around as things open back up and the markets are getting hotter and we're seeing salaries go back up to competitive ranges. And the whole mm-hmm. thing, it was January, 2021, that the Colorado law changed where the job postings have to list the salary requirements. Sure. Salary that they're offering. Yeah. Uh, because it all, all plays into fair hiring practices. I agree.
1: And hopefully more states will gravitate towards that
0: too. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, how can find um, someone find these nonprofits to target for jobs? Okay. They figured out their vision. They figured out their own values. How do they make that match? So um, most
1: states have United Ways, right? So they have like a United Way of Denver, United Way of Greater Phoenix. Um, so I, you could reach into your United Way organization, reach out to them or go on their website and I can guarantee you there's some kind of mention of the organizations they serve. Um, there is also in most states, and I'm gonna, I, I, I want to say every state, but like I haven't checked them all. So there's an alliance of fill in the br- fill in the blank nonprofits. So in Arizona, the Alliance of Arizona Nonprofits, in Utah, the Alliance of Utah Nonprofits, guaranteed there's a uh, alliance of Colorado nonprofits, right? And so, this is um, an alliance or an association, if you will, of collected nonprofits. So, you can look there, you can see what they have on their website. Um, another, I don't know if it's a tip with the trade, but there's a charity watchdog uh, platform, and it's called GuideStar. I mm. think it was bought out by Candid. Um, so, but if you still look up GuideStar.org, G-U-I-D-E-S-T-A-R.org. You can type in, like, um, there's nine main sectors within the nonprofit. So I mentioned a little bit earlier, like arts, culture, healthcare, education, human services. Uh, And you can do a search that way. It's free, GuideStar is free. And then there's also their public 90s, which is their tax documents that they have to submit to the IRS. So one, you're seeing if this is a legit nonprofit. Two, You're seeing how much money or operating budget are they working with? Three, what are their services that they offer? They even go into like the programs. So as you start to identify, like, what is your zone of genius and how do you want to show up and be of service through your everyday job? I I think GuideStar is a good place to go. In addition to the alliance of fill in the blank nonprofit within your state and then um, United Way's.
0: Right. Like uh, CanPo is the one we have in Colorado, Colorado Association, nonprofit organizations. And uh, even on their website, there's jobs posted there that are not elsewhere because it's super cheap for the associations to post their jobs there, um, maybe even free. So they may be posting there and not paying for LinkedIn or for a premium listing on Indeed. So those are some great resources. I love the GuideStar tip.
1: Great resources. And I was sharing with you earlier, Donna, I've done since March of last year, um, a live national webcast. Well, today our guest talked to us about networking, right? Like networking for jobs in particular in the nonprofit sector. LinkedIn was a big go-to, right? Like it's a great place to just share and um, let it be known that you're looking to be connected with a nonprofit. Now, if you are already hired full-time somewhere and you don't want it to be known that you're looking for a job, you can do that in a suave way, right? And just say, hey, I'm looking to be connected with a not-for-profit or a nonprofit or a social profit uh, that serves X, Y, and Z, you know, community in this way. And uh, it's a great way to do it too.
0: Excellent. So uh, how about the one thing we always want to know Are there some clear red flags that a job seeker should consider? Mm.
1: Well, yes, I do think so. And unfortunately, like I have ignored a lot of red flags in my life and my career. In fact, today I was talking to someone and saying, you know, I think I saw the red flags. In fact, I know I did. I picked them up. I sewed them together and I made a really comfy, cozy blanket. Like guilty, right? I I I hope I'm not the only one that's done that, but um, I think again it goes back to probing. So when you have your interview or you're talking with the organizations about um, maybe even volunteering, right? Ask open-ended questions. See how they answer. Um, Ask multiple people the same questions. See how they answer. Right? Is it consistent? Um, Are they transparent? Are they willing to communicate about? what we had talked about, their vision, their values, their culture. Um, see if you're able to talk to some of the staff, even the staff that's maybe not in the interview process. Um, and just kind of like, you know, feel it out. And that's why I say these probing open-ended questions. It's really important. I think it's really important. Um, but for me, I look for things like financial stability. Mm-hmm if I take this job or take them as a client, right, are they financially stable? Now I mentioned earlier in the, in the podcast, Donna, about GuideStar. So again, you can look up their 990. It's not always going to be the current year, but maybe a previous year, but that will give you a bit of a litmus test of how financially stable is this nonprofit. Um, So you can look at that. The other thing is, is culture, right? Like what are they doing uh, when it comes to Jedi work, which is not just, you know, a, a fun sci-fi, but it's justice, mm-hmm. equity, diverse, diversity, and inclusion. What are they doing and what steps are they taking right now to practice their own Jedi work? Um, there's so many ways, I think, you know, where we can ask questions and just be open-minded. Again, don't let your your eggs fall out, but <laughs> right. open-minded to know, like, hey, how are they addressing some of this? What is your uh, retention rate, right? What is your employee retention rate? Um, that could be a huge red flag.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, some of the red flags I like to look at too is how are they treating you in the interview process itself? Yeah. You know, it's but I think that's really important with nonprofits. And I just keep going back to a friend of mine who was like, getting a job in December and things like this. And she, there were some clear red flags with this one organization that she kept interviewing with. And they got her all the way up to the point where they made a job offer. And then she said, well, I have to have some very minor surgery. Can I put my start date as one week later than what you want, which was the week before Christmas. And they were also trying to get her to quit her current job so that she could start with them right away. So that's a red flag that they're not respecting yeah. the two week professional barrier. And then when she said, Oh, I have this surgery, they rescinded the job offer. Ooh. Yeah. You don't want to work because you know, they said, well, we don't, we, what if you have complications or something like this? And I'm like the HR heart in me is going, um, that's illegal. That's technically, yes, real, That's right. especially because it had nothing to do with the performance of the duties of the job. And mm-hmm. my friends all like begging me, what can I do to get the job offer back? And I go, you don't, you run away. This yes. is, I don't care if you think that this is your right place because you love their vision because you love their mission. I tell you their company culture is awful because they've treated you like dirt through this entire process. Run away. Yeah, great point. I'm so sorry to hear that. But here's one thing that was great: is no, no. What happened was great. Is she found another nonprofit organization in her small community, which was this was Pueblo, Colorado, so it's a small town. Mm-hmm. Found something, same vision, same mission, a little bit more expanded services. They just suddenly had somebody leave, so she was just doing some networking calls and got in touch with the executive director person was like I haven't even posted this job yet because I was going to wait until after Christmas but you know what let's talk that's she great up getting a job for better pay at a company that still aligns with her vision and mission
1: yeah
0: you know and culture better still, culture yeah better definitely better than the place that was illegal before yeah. they even hired her yeah that's there,
1: unfortunately, there's a lot of horror stories, war stories um, out there, and um, not just in the nonprofit, right? But yeah, like in so all, all communities and all sectors. And I think it's really important to pay attention to those red flags, know how to identify them. And then once you do identify, you know, like what's, what's your game plan?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In this case, in your friend's case, like run. Run as fast as you can. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> All right, so let's talk a minute for people who may already be working in their nonprofits. but maybe they want to move up into a leadership role. Any tips for them? Yeah. Um, well, I like to ask or I like
1: to you know really coach also that when you're looking for a full-time job, ask what are the um, you know, what are my opportunities for advancement here? What type of professional development do you offer? Uh, what type of personal development do you offer? Right, and I think that's that's really important. But I think when it comes to you know you're already at an organization, maybe you want to move up the ladder, maybe you want to move across the ladder. Like I don't know, there's there's different you know ways to to navigate your current situation. Um, Is, you know, go in with an idea of what you would want. So, really have a game plan of, okay, this is what I'm looking to do for my own advancement, again, professional or personal. And then just kind of have a list of what those ideals uh, would look like. You know, Mm -hmm. is it more pay? I'm going to tell you one thing in our sector, in the nonprofit sector, is titles. Titles Mm -hmm. are super sexy, and titles are like, You know, like they're really important to people. So if you don't get the pay, but maybe you're looking for a different title to help advance your career in the future, maybe that's something that you go in for a negotiation conversation of. Um, Right now, post-pandemics, and I say plural, right? Because I, I feel like we did the global virus, which I know we're still in, social unrest and the political divide, but there are so many opportunities right now for us to go back and negotiate with our current team, our current supervisors, what this might look like. Many of us, um, myself included, that's why I said us, like have kids at home that are in school. And um, so are you able to work from home more often than you did, you know, BC before COVID? Um, So I just think when it looks, you, you know, when you're looking at your career, what you can do to negotiate, even if you're currently hired right at your not-for-profit go in with a list of what you would like to have
0: and see um see what that conversation looks like sounds good sounds good so now we get to one of my favorite parts of the show where we get to talk about the tattoo of the day yay. so Garrett, do you have a tattoo I do I have
1: multiple okay um, <laughs> I know Do we, is this when I get to like share what they are
0: Yes, yes. Mm. So
1: my first one, I was 18, freshman in college. Um, believe it or not, in South Carolina, uh, it was illegal to have tattoos, tattoo salons, parlors at some point. um So my freshman year of college, I will totally out myself. I was 96, 97. So this was the age of that, right? Uh, I wasn't that. That was 1996, 1997, <laughs>
0: obviously. Um, <laughs> So Mm -hmm.
1: tattoo parlors or getting a tattoo in South Carolina was illegal. So Mm -hmm. I actually went to school in North Carolina and coming home from my first uh, Thanksgiving break, I think it was, or just, you know, kind of like fall, fall break, I'll say um, I stopped at a tattoo place that I had secured reservations um, and that was my first tattoo. So that's my lower back and I, it was a family tattoo. Um, I designed it actually in religion class, which I ultimately failed. That's a whole nother story. But um, that tattoo, since I got it when I was 18, like barely 18, it's actually been covered up. So that's my. it's also my first and my most recent one because it was a cover up and it's now a Hamza hand, but I wow. took my son um, who's 10 now. Uh, several years ago had the artist um, who I wrote down his name specifically for you. Victor Figueroa at IF Tattoo Studio in Arizona copied my son's hand, gave him another thumb, because if you're familiar with Hamza hands, they have two thumbs (laughs) on each side, Um, and I had him trace the hand, and then I was like, oh, that's still too big. Can you make it smaller? So we pretended like my son was four instead of seven when we traced his hand, Um, and so now that is my most recent uh, tattoo. Awesome, that's very cool. So, how can people get a hold of you, Jared? Well, I hope that they do because even when it comes to networking, I love being a service. Um, first and foremost, my website. So, theravengroup.com. That's T H E R A Y V is in Victor A N is in Nancy Group.com. Super weird, but like you said, Donna, you also have a really long, freakishly ridiculous uh, <laughs> URL. So. <laughs> theravengroup.com, but I'm also known as the nonprofit nerd, right? AKA nonprofit nerd. So you can find me on Instagram, um, Pinterest. You can find me on LinkedIn. Again, Jarrett Ransom. I'm probably the only female Jarrett that you will find in this nation. So uh, yeah, reach out to me. I always have time for a phone call. Would love to be of service for any of you that are looking to either enter the nonprofit sector or advance in the nonprofit sector. Um, I love what I do and I would love to help you love what you do.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, As my producer always reminds me, if you like what you've heard here, give us a follow, give us a like, maybe even a comment. If you didn't like what you heard here, uh, keep it to yourself. The world is mean enough, so we don't need more negativity. Uh, my name, that <laughs> you, know, right? you know. My name is Donna Shannon. My company is personaltouchcareerservices.com dot com, and uh, yeah, you can find me on all the socials too. Thanks again for your time, and we'll catch y'all later.